Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. Good morning, City Light. My name's Ken, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm kind of conflicted this morning because uh, yesterday there was a wedding, and so this entire stage is completely cleared out. So I'm excited that I have all this space to roam, but at the same time, right before church, my glasses broke, and they're currently held on by a uh, paper clip here, and so if I get too far away from my notes, I won't be able to see what I'm saying, so I'm trying to figure out exactly how I'm going to manage this space, but man, I'm, we're glad you're here. We just want to welcome you. Uh, thank you for joining us. We hope that as we sang that last song, that Christ is magnified in this place this morning, that he is made much of, Amen. And somebody, he's calling. I think he's got a word for us. <laughs> You're good. We love you, Diane. Uh, uh, and so I want to also acknowledge something else. Uh, Amanda read Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. But this morning, we are actually going to be covering Genesis chapters 15 through 17, as well as Genesis chapter 21. So we're, we're covering four whole chapters of the book of Genesis this morning. And, not, and they're not just any old four chapters. There's, they're like four really dense, important chapters of the Bible. So I just want to acknowledge off the front that there's a lot of depth and significance and beauty that's in these scriptures that we're just not going to have time to talk about unless you want to be here until 4 p.m. And, uh, and so uh, I just encourage you this week to spend some time meditating through Genesis 15 through 17, as well as Genesis 21, because like throughout the whole of scripture, uh, the, the, we got another phone call, man, going crazy today. Uh, but throughout the whole of scripture, uh, God himself is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's something really important about this guy, Abraham, that we're going to talk about today, and we just don't have time to really dive into all of it. So, man, I encourage you, do your own Bible study this week. Uh, get into the Word of God, because it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to encourage you as you do that. So uh, I want to start this morning by telling you about uh, a time when I overcame one of my greatest fears. And so this was my sixth grade summer. I was back in Kansas City, and me and a handful of my friends went to the amusement park called Worlds of Fun. Now, I had never been to Worlds of Fun before. I had never ridden a roller coaster at all. So my parents dropped me off, me and my friends off, and I kind of went and uh, looked at those things, and I said, uh, no thanks. Uh, 60 miles an hour, going upside down with like a quarter inch metal bar across my waist. I don't think that's enough to keep me from falling to my death. So I'll, I'll take a pass on this roller coaster business. Uh, but, but let me tell you, like peer pressure is real. Like it is real. And so uh, oh, I, I was able to resist for maybe about an hour until my friends shamed me into getting in line for my very first roller coaster. It was a roller coaster called the Orient Express. And uh, let me tell you, waiting in that line felt like it lasted an eternity. I was breathing hard. I had like tunnel vision. By the time I actually got in the chair, I was kind of in a fog. 
Uh, and he, here's, here's the thing about this particular roller coaster. Like you stand in line, you go into the station, and right outside the station there's this little tunnel. A dark tunnel that you can't see through. And so one of my friends who knew I was kind of panicking, freaking out this whole time, he, he, he's, he's a guy who even to this day I love and trust like a brother. And he said, hey, Kenan, I know you're freaked out. I know you're scared. I just want to tell you what's going to happen real quick so that you're prepared for it. When, like, right out of the station, you see that tunnel? We go to, like, a giant drop right underground through that thing. And I was like, oh, no. And so now I'm freaking out even more. I'm freaking out, freaking out. And then, of course, this, like, 14-year-old who hates his job comes and does the lamest little check on the lap bar ever, like touches it with one pinky. I'm like, that does not make me feel at ease at all. And so we're out of the station. We're creeping towards the tunnel. We peek our heads into the dark abyss that we're about to go down. And I scream, ah! And the car goes, floop. Just like a little five-foot drop. That was it. Everybody else on the car is like, what is this crazy guy screaming about? He had lied to me. Yeah, that's, that's, those are my friends. Uh, uh, and and I, I rode the roller coaster. Everything was fine. And that was actually not my greatest fear I faced that day. My greatest fear actually came later when I went to the bathroom and I came out and I didn't see any of my friends anywhere. They pulled another prank on me. But as I walked out of the bathroom, I didn't know that. And so I'm looking around. I'm like, I, I look to the left. and Now I look to the right. They're not there. Maybe they got in line at one of the roller coasters or something. So I go check the lines around. Nobody's there. And I'm kind of left with this pit in my stomach of like, did they forget me? Did they leave me? Like, am I all alone here? Did, did they forget me? What was probably a two-minute ordeal before my friends popped out behind like a bush, it felt like an eternity being completely alone, lost, and forgotten is a terrifying feeling. And even more so when I think about being forgotten by God. Like, has God forgotten me? Am I all alone in this thing now? Has he left? It's a terrifying feeling. It's a feeling we actually find many different characters in the scriptures deal with throughout the Bible. If you do a quick Google search and look through the list, you would see dozens of examples of biblical characters who cry out to God at some point in their lives like, remember me, oh God. Don't forget me. Don't leave me behind. Don't forget me. And I bet in this room, many of us have prayed that same prayer. When that loved one got sick, when that job laid you off, when you're alone and those tough times come, when your expectations were shattered and your heart is broken, it feels like God has forgotten us. And I think as we jump into Abraham's story, that's kind of the feeling Abraham was having. Abraham was this man that God promised. God told him he would have a son. God said Abraham's family would become a great nation who would be blessed so that they could be a blessing. And in order for that to happen, Abraham had to have a son of his own. But here we are, three chapters after God originally promised Abraham, and still he has no son. It's like, God, what about what you promised me? You told me this was going to happen. Like, did you forget me? 
Have you left? Have you forgotten me, God? And I think that's precisely why God comes back three chapters later to remind Abraham of his promise in chapter 15. So let's read uh, the passage we just read together again. Genesis 15, verse 1 through 6, he said, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will not be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God comes back three chapters later to remind Abraham of the promise he made him back in Genesis 12. And chapter 15 says that Abraham, Abraham believed God, at least in the moment he does. Because if we actually go forward to Genesis chapter 16, Abraham, going imp- growing impatient with God's promises, kind of plows forward with his own plan. Like at some point between Genesis 15 and Genesis 16, Abraham begins to doubt God. And I think it has something to do with a little detail we find in chapter 16, verse 3, that it's been 10 years. God told Abraham he'd be a great nation, called Abraham to pack up and move. And, and, and God, the thing about Abraham is Abraham actually listened to God. Abraham did what God called him to do. And still, it was 10 years. 10 years had passed. And still, Abraham does not have this son that God promised him. Like, God, did did you forget me? Did did that to-do list you make, did you accidentally toss it in the trash? Where'd that little sticky note go? What happened to this son you promised me? Did you forget me, God? Like, I listened to you. I followed you. I'm in Canaan. I did, did what you told me to do, and still you haven't brought me the kid you promised me. Did you go back on your promise? Like, should we have pinky swore on this thing or something? Like, God, did you forget me? Ten years later, it hits Abraham. This fear that many of us have. The fear that God has forgotten us. The fear that we're alone. That God left us alone in the amusement park of life. So Abram does uh, what we often do when we feel like God hasn't come through for us, we make our own way. (laughs) Like, obviously, God isn't going to do what he said, so I'm going to make it happen myself. He forgot about us, so Abraham takes it into his own hands in Genesis 16. We'll read verse 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to him, to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram her husband, as a wife. So 10 years go by. 
They feel like God's not coming through on his promise, so we got to come up with a plan of our own. And so the plan is for Abraham to sleep with his servant Hagar and try to get her pregnant. It's a good thing it's not family Sunday, although there are still some kids in the room. Parents, have fun with that conversation on the, on the car ride home. <laughs> so Abraham uh, sleeps with his servant. They have a baby named Ishmael. They decided like, okay, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to make it happen. So they do something immoral. They do something sinful. Abraham, this man of faith, screws up. Like he doesn't trust God. He cheats on his wife. He takes matters into his own hands. Abraham sins. And a quick note on like this part of the story. I once heard a pastor say, like, you cannot do Jesus' work unless you do it Jesus' way. And I think the story of Abraham is a perfect example of that. God promised to get, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's good. Uh, God promised uh, to give Abraham a son, and Abraham had a son. It was Ishmael. But it was not God's work because it wasn't done God's way. And so, like, man, I'm glad if you've found financial freedom through budgeting and being generous and all that stuff, but if you earned those finances, through stealing, or through cheating, or through not paying your employees enough. Man, your tithe, we don't want it. God doesn't want it. It's not earning you what you want. If you think the best way to reconcile with your husband and wife is to beat them down with insults until they just stop arguing with you, are you getting the picture? You cannot do Jesus' work unless you do it Jesus' way. Like, 1 Corinthians has this picture of, of uh, it talks about building a building. And like, on the day, like, fire will reveal what it's made of. And so like, whether we're building this church, whether you're building your life, and you think like, man, I'm doing it for the mission of God. If you are not doing it Jesus' way, it is not Jesus' work. And so I couldn't, I couldn't skip over that. If you are not, you cannot do Jesus' work unless you do it Jesus' way. Back to the story. Abraham is 86 years old when Ishmael is born. And it takes 13 years for God to speak again. 13 more years. 24 years from God's initial promise. If you're doing the math, that's one year of pregnancy. (laughs) God again speaks to Abraham 24 years after his first promise. 13 years after Ishmael is born. In Genesis 17, when Abram is 99 years old, that's when God comes back to speak with Abraham. And the Bible says that in Genesis 17, when God comes back, Abraham falls on his face before God. And you can imagine why. Like Abraham is confronted with the almighty, holy, eternal God of the universe, and he sinned against him. He went against him. He doubted him. He did his own thing. And so he, surely this God is going to come back to punish me. God is coming back to smite Abraham for his lack of faith. So Abraham is in fear and he falls on his face before God. But as you read Genesis 17, you do see that God gives Abraham a little bit of a talking to. But God's intention is not to punish Abraham, but it's to correct, to remind, and to give him grace. And before this part of the story, if you've been obviously reading the scriptures, Abraham's name in those is Abram. 
And it's in chapter 17 that God renames Abram to Abraham. And and I think it's important to point out that names are profoundly uh, important and significant in the first century culture. It means something. So God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which initially Abram means exalted father, but his new name means father of a multitude. So God is coming in. He's changing Abram's name to reassure him that the promise I made to you is still intact. You will indeed birth a great nation, a great multitude. And and it's interesting that it's in chapter 17 that God renamed Abraham. God could have renamed Abraham all the way back in chapter 12, or he could have done it in Genesis 15, but it's here in Genesis 17 after Abraham's worst screw up. It's after Abraham doubted. It's after Abraham thought that God forgot him. It's after Abraham sinned that God showed up and gave Abraham a new name. God basically says, okay, Abraham, Let me wipe your slate clean. Let me start you fresh. Your name is no longer Abram. Your name is now Abraham. You are no longer the man from the past that you when you failed. You are now a new man, a new creation, and the promise I made to you still stands. Because here's the thing we need to remember. In the midst of our doubting, in the midst of our questioning, in the midst of the thoughts that are bound to come of like, God, have you forgotten me? The truth we need to remember is that God always keeps his promises. So although you may feel forgotten by God, although you may feel like he left you, although you may feel alone, God always keeps his promises. No matter the circumstances, no matter how many times we doubt, no matter how long it takes, God always comes through on his promises. We can be assured of that. And here's where I need to make some caveats about God's promises and what that means. When we're talking about God's promises, like let me be clear, God does not promise you health, wealth, and your wildest dreams God does not promise you that if you have enough faith, you're going to be healed of that sickness. God does not promise uh, that life with him is going to be a life of nonstop happiness and prosperity. I mean, you could ask the disciples, the disciples who walked with Jesus for years, and every single one of them ended up martyred for their faith. They walked with and learned from Jesus. These are the guys who built the church from the ground up. They were tortured jailed, chased, and beaten, and all of them ended up dying for their faith in Jesus. It means a little bit something different when you think about picking up your cross and following him. Man, following Jesus isn't a call to be perfectly happy, healthy, and wealthy. The call of Jesus is come and die. Die to yourself, pick up your cross, follow him. The promise of Jesus doesn't include your prosperity here on earth. And Paul Paul is a good example. Uh, Paul is uh, better than me. He's better than you. He's 
pretty awesome dude. Like, uh, if, if a lot of us have a hard time reading our Bibles or memorizing Scripture, Paul wrote the thing. So uh, he's, he's kind of an awesome guy. There's this uh, stuff in the book of Acts where it talks about, like, people were literally bringing him handkerchiefs and, like, just trying to get the handkerchief to touch Paul. And then they would go bring their handkerchief home and give it to the sick person, and that person would be healed. Like, Paul is better than you. Paul is better than me. Paul was kind of a beast. So surely this man, Paul, who remained faithful and did so much to bring the gospel to the poor and the lost and the hopeless, surely God would take care of that guy, right? Surely he retired early, bought a boat, and spent his remaining days leisurely fishing with his beautiful wife and grandkids. Nope. That's not how Paul's story ends. Paul's story ends with him being beheaded in a Roman court for refusing to bow to Caesar because there's only one King Jesus. Man, God's promises don't include your health, wealth, and prosperity. But Paul understood something. The promises of Jesus are so much greater than all the money the world could offer. The promises of Jesus are so much greater than all the joys this world can offer. The promises of Jesus are so much better than simply being healed of your sore knees. Like, the promise of Jesus is himself. That's why Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul says, for if I live, it's for the purpose of exalting in, glorifying, proclaiming the goodness and experiencing the goodness of Jesus in my relationship. Like, this is the purpose for which I live. And even if you take me out, even if you kill me, you only give me more of what I really long for. Because in that moment, I'm standing in the presence of the holy God that I love. And I get to see him clearly and I get to know him fully. Man, please take me out because I love to spend eternity with you with my father. God promises to, God's promises do not include your earthly prosperity, but they're so much greater than any false teacher could tell you about. God's promise in the midst of it all is himself. God's promise is that he will be with us, that he will not forget us, that he will not lose track of us, that although we may be struggling, although we may be walking through a dark time, we may have doubts and fears, it's in those moments where God draws near to us. Here is the great truth that all who trust in and believe in Jesus have God himself. Luke 11, 9-13 is a a passage that we like to read the first few uh, verses of and then uh, ignore what that passage is actually about. So it says this, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an eggs, will give him a scorpion? This is where we typically stop and say, if you pray hard enough, then God's going to just give you your wildest dreams, your health, wealth, prosperity. But then chapter or verse 13 says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Man, if we come to Him, we get far more than the things that rust and rot. 
We get the eternal God of the universe. We get to know him fully. He gets to indwell us and empower us and encourage us and speak to us. God promises to give us himself. So in the days when we're heartbroken, we remember Psalm 34 that says we have a God who draws near to the brokenhearted. In the days where your faith feels unstable, we find security in John 10, where Jesus tells you that nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. When you feel unlovable, when you feel like you've screwed up too much, your past is messed up, and your present self is far too sinful to ever be loved by God, we remember Romans 8 that says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God, that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, height nor death, nothing on the face of the planet can separate us from his love. And on the days we feel forgotten, we remember Abraham's story. We remember how God keeps his promises and that there's not one of God's children who he ever, ever, ever forgets. Because we read in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. Abraham and Sarah have a baby after all this time, decades after God first promised it to Abraham. After all Abraham's doubting, after all of his uncertainty, after all of his sin, after all of his fear, God delivers on his promise he made. God has not forgotten him after all, because Isaac is born. And although Genesis 21 should cause some celebration to rise up, the word I, I kind of used is it's catharsis. It's, it's like this brief, uh, deep breath of relief. It's this celebratory part of the story, the part where we're like, okay, everything's good now. But here's the the, the thing I want us to take home is that Genesis 21 is not the culmination of God's promise to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham was that he would be a father of many nations, that through Abraham all the world would be blessed. Isaac was just the first step in that promise. As we continue forward in the story of the Bible, we read of another baby that's born. A baby born in Bethlehem to a virgin girl from the line of Abraham. That's Jesus, the Christ. And, all the, and, and it's through this man that all the nations would be blessed. This Jesus who lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death. And he was raised to new life so that all who might come to him would be forgiven for their sin. Have relationship with God restored and be given new life that we just celebrated in baptism. This is the culmination of Abraham's blessing, that through his line, a new nation would be born, a holy nation, 1 Peter calls it, a kingdom of priests, a church, a group of people that might bring the life-changing blessing of God's grace to the world around us. This is what God was pointing to all the way back in Genesis 12, that through the line of Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. And again, as we remember this promise to Abraham, we can be sure that God is faithful to deliver on his promises. Because God promised to send a man through Abraham to bless the nations. And we see that man in the person of Jesus. And honestly, this isn't the only time in the Old Testament we see God promise this Messiah, this Savior who would come to defeat the power of sin and death. Back in Genesis 3, God promises a man who would come and crush the head of the serpent. 
And from that whole point forward, the entire Old Testament is pointing us towards this Messiah, towards this Savior who would come. Isaiah 61 says, the same man would come to bind the brokenhearted, to bring good news to the poor. Isaiah 53 says this man would be rejected by men and despised, beaten, tortured, and it was through his wounds we are healed. These promises are given generations before Jesus comes, and yet God delivered on these promises. For thousands of years, the Israelite people waited for a savior king who would come and make all things new. And in the person of Jesus, we see that he did indeed come. And he has come to restore our relationship with the Father, to make us whole again, to heal our broken hearts, and to forgive us our sin and give us life eternal. After waiting, waiting, waiting for hundreds of years, the Son of God himself was born. And he lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, so that all who would confess their sin would be granted forgiveness. And that's what we celebrate in communion. The fact that communion is yet another sign of God coming through on his promises. Just like God goes back to Abraham three different times in Genesis 12, 15, and 17 to remind him of the promise We come to this table of communion every single week to remind ourselves of the promise that God has fulfilled. In taking the broken bread, we remember Jesus' broken body. And when it's dipped in the juice, we remember his shed blood. The promise fulfilled. The hope of the Old Testament. The culmination of Genesis 12. The promise of Abraham. Man, as we take communion this morning, would we be reassured of God's promises to us, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that he draws near to the brokenhearted, that he has not left us and he will not forget us. And ultimately we rejoice that there are promises still yet to come of a new heavens and a new earth when we will no longer doubt whether God has forgotten us because God will make his home here with us. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.